Well, good evening. How's everybody doing this evening? Good. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Everybody's good. Good. Great. Everybody, I know it's been a couple weeks. Has everybody adjusted to the time change okay? No? No. I'm not. I'm struggling worse than I've noticed in other years that I'm I'm struggling a lot worse this year with that. Always tired, never awake. So, Um, All right. As Joe said, we are in the book of Ephesians tonight. So um, if you want to get your Bibles, we're not going to venture too far outside of Ephesians. I think there's enough there. Um, We'll we'll have some other things that we talk about, like one or two. But for the most part, we're going to stick to the book of Ephesians tonight. Um, And uh, so so just a few things about Ephesians. First off, you know, when I I drew the the Ephesians straw when we were picking uh, books, um, you know, as you saw Joe up here with his guitar, you know, this is a layup, you know, this is, this is, this is an easy one. You know, there's a lot in here, um, just these short six books. But there's also some pressure there because, you know, if you've ever seen a football game where you've got, you know, Alabama against Chattanooga, who they play Saturday, Alabama better blow Chattanooga out or be people talking. So if Johnny doesn't do good at Ephesians, there are going to be people talking. So there's pressure there, okay? So don't, don't let it fool you. Go ahead, Jeff. Sometimes the most pressure is when you're wide open. That's true. And, you know, that is true. That is true. Make it. That's right. I've seen Andre uh, try to dunk the ball several times and get blocked by the rim. So, uh, so anyway, all right. So, getting into the book of Ephesians, uh, like I said, uh, just some facts. It's, it's six chapters. It's another letter from Paul, just like the Corinthian letters that we've gone over, the letter of uh, Galatians. Um, so, so it's not just like it, but it's a letter like those things are, uh, most likely written around 62 A.D. by Paul, the Apostle Paul. Um, from prison uh, in Rome. Um, Ephesians is small, but there's a lot in it. Um, I've read through it several times through, through this whole process. I read through it several times in the past, but just in studying, I've tried to read through it as often as I could. It takes about 20 minutes to read through it, okay? And I'm a slow reader, so you, you guys may get through it a lot quicker than that. I would encourage you, I'm not going to touch on everything from the book tonight, okay? Just like in other weeks, we very seldom touched on everything in, in, in the books that we're teaching on Wednesday nights. I encourage you, go read it. Go read it. Everybody in here, if you've got a cell phone or a video game, you've got 20 minutes to sit down and read Ephesians. Okay? This week, next week, read it every day for a week. Everybody has enough time to do that. So use some of your, some of your time. Uh, read Ephesians. Um, you know, get familiar with it. It's, it's a really good. There's a lot in it. Um, Alright, so much like last week, or uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Brad taught on Galatians. Um, this is one of those letters where... Paul's been to this place, okay, he's left, and he's writing back to him, okay, and just like in Galatians, the, 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 um, the time that Paul was there is out, is out of the book of Acts. We see in Acts chapter, starting in chapter 18, we see it, there's a man named Apollos who was speaking to the Ephesians, and this is just Cliff Notes version, I mean, this is very bare bones of what happened when Paul was there, there's going to be a lot left out, so read Acts 18, 19, and 20 as well uh, to go along with this, but... Um, but uh, there, there was a man named Apollos, a Jew named Apollos there, who was speaking to the Ephesians. He preached to them. But he only knew part of the gospel, okay? He didn't know the whole counsel of God. Uh, Aquila, Priscilla and Aquila took him aside, helped him out with that. He began preaching the true gospel uh, to the people at Ephesus. Um, uh, so when he did that, at, at about that time, Paul came along. Paul kind of took over preaching in, in this area. Paul um, found 12, 12 men who, who became kind of like disciples, Along with him, 
Um, and then they began preaching in the synagogues, preaching the true gospel. Um, and there was some opposition. There was, there was like a riot there. Uh, there was kind of a, an assembly that came together and said, hey, we don't need to be doing this. We need to, you know, uh, calm down. There was a lot of confusion there over this theology, over this new gospel that had been preached to them. Um, and then, uh, then kind of the riot died, died out pretty quick. It didn't get too bad from what I understand. Um, and then in, in chapter 20, verse 17 and following, Paul begins talking to the elders and the leaders of this church at Ephesus. And uh, he talks to him about what he's preached. He kind of um, goes over those things and then he prays with them. And then he leaves. And then sometime later, um, he, he goes to Rome and he's, he's imprisoned in Rome. Um, and that's kind of where he writes a lot of these letters from is, is, is his imprisonment in Rome. So we see um, this letter after he left, just like the Galatians, um, but it's a little different. So we see, what's, what he's writing, we see that he's writing to them because after he left, something happened, right? In Galatians, what happened? Why did, why did he write back to them? What was his main purpose for writing back to the Galatian church? Anybody remember? Two weeks ago. Zach. That's right. They were going back under the law. They, he said it right out of the gate in the first, first several verses. You know, I'm astonished that you're so easily believing or so quickly believing another gospel than the one that I preached to you. This letter is a lot different than that. Okay, So that was, a, that was a, a, a letter of correction. So we see kind of right out of the gate, and, and, and you'll see it when we talk about the introduction. Um, you know, in Galatians, there was a problem. This letter seems to be a little bit different. Paul's writing somewhat of a, of a happy letter to him. You know, it's, it's a lot different than what he wrote to the Galatians. Um, and, and like I said, we see that right out of the gate with his, with his greeting. Um, so in this, church, uh, in this church, North Clay, um, we should all be somewhat familiar um, with, with, this, with this book. You know, this book's quoted a good bit around here. It's studied a good bit around here. Pastor Tim's, they're going back through it, uh, an, old, an old daily devotional thing that Tim did through the book of Ephesians. Um, he's just preached a few sermons out of the book of Ephesians over the last couple weeks. Um, so this book, this book is used a lot around here, and there's a lot in it. You know, there's a lot of really good theology in it, and, a lot, and, and I'm hoping to pull some of that out. And, uh, some of it may be stuff that you've heard uh, because of the fact that we use it so much around here. There's something to be said for repetition. The Bible says that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Okay, So if it's something you've heard, don't just tune out. Let's listen. Let's hear it again. Hear it again. Let's get more familiar with it. Um, but, but there's, you know, in Awana, we've, we've memorized uh, passages out of Ephesians. We sing one of them out there with the kids. Uh, we sing, you know, 2, two 8 through 10 um, with the kids. So when I get to that portion of Scripture, if I sing the last part of it, you'll have to forgive me. I have a terrible singing voice, but I'll try not to. Every time I read it while I'm studying, uh, I say that he should walk in them, and I'm, uh, or we should walk in them, and I'm like, stop singing. So anyway, uh, I hope I don't do that up here. Um, all right. So uh, again, a lot of things we, we, we've heard before, um, and we're going to go gonna go over them again, uh, maybe in a different way. So basically, this book can be broken into two parts, okay? You can split it down the middle. Uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3 are basically what God has done. It's, it's, there's no instruction in there from Paul. Um, it's basically a reminder of what God's done for these people and for His people. And then the second part of it is how to live in light of that. Application, practical uh, application for, um, for, uh, for us and for, for the believers of that time. So the two parts are connected by a therefore. We hear that term here. Pastor Tim says, wherefore the therefore. 
The wherefore is chapters 1 through 3, and then the therefore is the chapters 4, 5, and 6, okay? So we're going to talk about that. We're going to get into that. We're going to spend more time in chapters 1 and 2 than we spend anywhere else in this book, okay? We're going to, we're going to kind of fly through the last several chapters of the book. There's a reason for that, okay? There's, there's just a lot, a lot in those first two chapters that, that we need to cover. So, um, right out of the gate, Paul, uh, in, in his greeting, Paul, uh, I mean, Ephesians 1, uh, 1 and 2, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, our goal in this, in this Emmaus Road study is to what? Find Jesus in every book of the Bible, right? I found him three times already in two verses, okay? Jesus is all through this book, all right? So we've got, we've got three mentions already of Christ, and we're going to see a lot of those mentions uh, further on. So this greeting, similar to the one in Galatians, similar to, similar to all the other ones, but it's a little different like we talked about earlier. There's, there's a, this, one, this one's a little more complimentary of the church. It doesn't seem like he's about to get onto him like he did in, in Galatians. Paul usually kind of aims his introductions, okay? You can kind of see where we're going a lot of times at the very beginning of Paul's letters. And in this one, he gives a bit of a hint, or in, in all of them, he gives a bit of a hint about what, how, how this is all going to go down. So in this one, um, it seems like he's complimenting him. Look what he said. He said, to the saints, he called them saints, who are in Ephesus, and are faithful in Christ Jesus, okay? So he compliments them right out of the gate. I find that interesting. You know, in Galatians, um, if we turned back there, he had, he had a little bit more to say about who he was, and we'll talk about that in a second. But he, he, said, he just kind of said, to those in Galatia, to the church in Galatia, like, kind of just cut off, you know, getting to the point. With these guys, he gives them a bit of a, a, bit of a compliment. So, found that interesting. So, and, and I, I'm always interested in these greetings that, that Paul and, and Peter have in their books and in others. Um, you know, I know that most of y'all probably, maybe y'all have written letters. I know in this day and age, writing letters is kind of an old thing. We send texts now and maybe emails. But even in emails and letters, typically the flow is, dear so-and-so. You know, somebody's writing a letter to me, dear Johnny, and then they write in the, le- in the letter what the purpose of the letter is, what they're trying to say. And then at the end, they say something like regards, and they put their name, or sincerely, or you know, if it's from Miss Nicole, maybe it says I love you in a comma and then Nicole. Or something like that, right? So, I like how in, in, in the letters that we see in, in our scriptures, they give, that, they give that final greeting almost up front, okay? Like Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Like my work email, if I send you a work email, at the bottom of it, it says Johnny Sanders, Thompson Tractor, what my title is and what my phone number is to, to, to get in touch with me, right? So that's kind of what Paul's doing out of the gate here. He, he does it at the beginning. And I thought, you know, and this is a simple thing, but I thought, you know, what's the reason for that? Kind of what's the reason for that? And I didn't really look it up. This just kind of came out of my head, so it's probably wrong. Um, but, but Paul gives his credentials up front because Paul's about to say something to these people that's important. In Galatians, he got really really harsh with these people, okay, if you remember. Now, if they didn't know who Paul was, or Paul hadn't introduced himself as who he was, they might not know that he has the authority to say what he's saying, right? In this book, he's not fixing to, to get on them like he did in Galatians, but he's, all, but he's also saying things to them that require authority, 
Okay? So I think, I think that's why that's the way he starts these letters out for that reason. Okay? Here I am. This is who I am. This is the authority that I'm saying these things under. Okay? And that's why he does that at the beginning, I believe. Um, so again, uh, Paul signs his letters at the beginning. Um, and he give, gives his credentials up front so that, he'll know, so that they'll know who he was. Again, in, in Galatians, he was correcting. So, all right. Um, verses 3 through 14. I'm going to read through those real quick. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, <clears throat> even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace <clears throat> with which he, had, he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, <clears throat> which he set forth in Christ as a plant for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having, pre having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his, according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were, who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, your, the gospel of your salvation, <clears throat> and believed in Him, were sealed with the, with the promised Holy Spirit, who is, the, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. <clears throat> so we see here kind of an opening poem or doxology. Who in here could tell me, kids, what a doxology is? What is doxology? It's the song we sing before the church starts. <laughs> That's partially right. That's partially right. So, I like, basically what I'm going to give you here is, is Paul's telling us all these things about God. And our reaction to those things, to those facts about what God has done is our doxology. Doxology is an outpouring of praise, right? When we sing our doxology... We sing praise God from whom all blessings flow, right? When we start like that, and praise Him, all creatures here below, and, and, and we keep going. Here we see Paul, Paul saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he starts out with a doxology. Because of what he's about to tell these people about God and about what, what, Christ, what God has done through Christ, he praises God. And we're going to see that over and over. We're going to see that we saw that here before he started. We're going to see it when he finishes this part. We're going to see it once or twice more in what he's saying. What he's saying about God, what he's telling these people about God and how good God is, is causing him to praise. Is causing that doxology. So his theology, everybody know what theology is? What's theology? What you believe about? About God. What, what you believe about God. Okay. So what we know about God is theology. The theology that he's sharing drives him to doxology. So our theology should drive us to praise, aka doxology. Okay, so he starts with pray, he starts uh, he starts with that doxology, um, and and he uh, okay. So it, then we see so many more times. I, I mentioned three times in two verses. He talked about Christ. He mentioned Christ a lot in those verses, um, and then we see we see in verse four 
an interesting, an interesting idea, okay? So he says, Blessed be the Lord uh, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Now that's interesting, isn't it? He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Okay? And then it goes on to say He predestined us for adoption. We're going to talk about the word predestined here in just a minute. Um, but it's very important because this is, this is some doctrine, this is some theology for you that gets, gets mis- can be misinterpreted. I'm the kind of guy that I have to look at a verse and I have to say, what does it say? Not what do I think he means by it. What does it say? Okay? So what does this say? Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Alright? So who is the he? Even as he, God, chose us. Who's us? Huh? Saints. Saints, believers. Very good. So the we uh, the uh, the he is obviously God, all right. So it says even as he chose us, the us is his followers, his saints. Um, and and, and the re- what I get that where I get that from is he's talking about those who are saved. Elsewhere in these verses, there are distinctions made between us, we, and you. He uses those terms. Okay, we often refers to Jewish believers. You refers to Ephesian Gentile believers. Um, but it doesn't seem, and I got this from a commentary, it doesn't seem likely that Paul would spend much time praising God for things that his readers wouldn't participate in, okay? Um, In verses 12 and 13, he's a little more specific when he's talking, right? He says, we who were the first to hope in Christ, okay? So he's talking about early believers, those, those who may have believed early on. And then he says, you also, referring to Ephesian believers who came to faith in Christ later on. But in verse 4 and in others, he doesn't make that specification. He just says us, okay? So, um, so in, in certain circles, you may hear this idea of being chosen before the foundation of the world and predestination are specific for the people that he's writing to, okay? That's what you may hear. Now, I'm not saying that, okay? That's what you may hear in some circles. That's what I've been told. When, I, when I'm challenging people that don't believe this doctrine of predestination, okay, um, I run into people who say, well, that was for them. Okay, fair enough. Let's just assume that you're right and that's for them. This is just for these Gentiles. Is everything in Galatians just for those in Galatians? How about Corinthians? Is that just for them? Remember what Pastor Drew said when we kind of started early on in this Emmaus Road study? Is the Bible to us? Is the Bible written to us? No. Is the Bible written for us. Absolutely. Us is included. Us is who he's talking about here. Okay? So I, I, I went kind of in that circle just to make sure we understand this is us. If you're in here tonight and you're a believer, this is us. Okay? So, and that's going to be, a, that's going to be more important here in just a little bit when we begin talking about our standing before God. Okay? So, so again, if it was just for those people, that's, that's the, it, it wouldn't even be any good for us to study or read, read these books, right? Um, so, uh, so these verses, again, are different. Um, and there's a, there's a lot here. So there's also the argument, and I've heard this argument, that God looked down through time and saw who would, sa- who would be saved and who would accept them and who would give their heart to Him and all this, that, and the other. All right? 
But there's, a, there's that pesky little word I mentioned earlier in verse 5, predestination, okay? Now, y'all are in school, right? Most of you, except for the adults. Talking to the kids, y'all are in school. What does pre typically mean? Before. Before, very good. What does destined mean? What will happen. What will happen? Basically, yeah. Yeah, um, the actual dictionary, I guess, definition is a person's future developing according to a plan. So what will happen, essentially. Um, so we've got predestined. God predestined. He, in love, because He loved us, predestined us. Okay, that's pretty simple, right? But you get people who say, no, that's not what that means. That's not what that means. Well, why didn't He use a different word there if that's not what He means, okay? So the idea that I get in my head, and this is just, this is the crazy stuff that I think up, and this is the things that I fight back with these people about. So, God's sitting there, all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent, God is sitting in heaven, and He's got this bowl of popcorn, and He's like, alright, click on the TV today, let's see how's Emma Mullins going to do today. Is the day the day where she's going to accept me into her heart? I hope, I hope it is. I know she's going to do it, but I hope today's the day. I hope it's today. I know, because I can see that. I already know I'm God, all-powerful, going, she didn't do it today. Today wasn't the day, man. Goes to bed. Well, today wasn't Emma Mullins' day. You know, um, that's a pretty weak idea of God. You know what I mean? That's, that's, not, that's not what I see in Scripture. I see a God who predestined those whom He chose. Okay? Um, we see a God in Scripture um, who, who looked down upon us um, knowing that we, uh, knowing that we deserve hell, and save those of us whom He chose. Okay, that's the all-powerful God. That's the all-knowing God that we see in Scripture. That's the God who predestined whom He would save. Um, so God is the author and the perfecter of salvation. He looked down at again. He looked down at people who were who were determined who were headed for hell and determined whom He would save. Um, now, it's said there He predestined us to be holy and blameless. How was that obtained? How was that holiness and blamelessness obtained? Through Jesus. We can never do that on our own, okay? We can't do that on our own. We're going to see more about what we can't do on our own later on in, 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 these, in this Scripture. But we see, we see that He says in love, He predestined us... Um, uh, to be holy and blameless. And, and, and in that righteousness of Christ is the only way that that can happen. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. So knowing our condition, God looked at us with all the sin and all the filth that we have in our lives and knew that there was only one way um, that, that He could, do, that, that he could uh, save us. And that was through, through Jesus Christ. So because He loved us, us, His chosen, He predestined us, determined that, there were, that, there were, that the events were going to happen in the future to be holy and blameless, the only way that we could, could possibly be holy and blameless, and that was through Christ. Then He says that we were also adopted as sons in Jesus Christ. So we're adopted into this family. We're adopted into this special kind of exclusive family. Okay? And has, have you all ever known anyone that was adopted or been adopted or anything like that? Okay, so when they were adopted into the family, right? Now I've got a son that's not my biological son, and I didn't adopt him, but I took him in as my, as my son when I married Nicole. 
And, um, and, and, and he, he got to, not that there's a whole lot of them, but he got to reap the benefits of being my son, right? He got to, I got to, I paid his bills, right? I bought his video games when he did good on his report card, or, you know, whatever the case may be, you know. He got to reap some benefits of being my son, okay? Of being my adopted or taken in son. So this is kind of that idea. We're adopted into God's family, and we get to enjoy the benefits of being in that family. Verse 11, we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to God's will. Our inheritance is what? What's this inheritance? Eternal life with Jesus, right? Eternal life with our Lord and Savior, okay? So let's make sure we understand. Again, we're fixing to get into this a lot more, but this is something that God has done through Christ, okay? This is something that God has done through Christ, not something that we've done, all right? And verses 15 through 23, kind of the end of this chapter, Paul thanks God for all these things. He says, for this reason, sort of like a therefore, so because of what I've just said, I thank you, I thank God, um, for uh, he says, I give thanks for you, and he's talking to the Ephesians. He's talking uh, about believers um, because because all because you're all believers, and God has done this. So I think so. He thanks him. It's like another doxology t- attached to a prayer there at the end. Okay, um, so that's how he wraps up chapter one. Um, chapter two, verses one through ten, should be very familiar to you around here. Okay, <clears throat> especially eight eight through ten. Because that's the song we sing. So I'm going to read that. It says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the, of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, as it lived in the passions of our own flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the, and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's the part I usually sing, so I did good. <clears throat> Alright, so I once heard somebody say this, and they said it here in North Clay. And they said that these verses, verses 1-10 through 10 of chapter 2, are every person's testimony. Okay? Everybody knows what a te- you've heard a testimony, right? Everybody's heard a testimony in here, right? So you usually hear something like, yeah, I was at youth camp and I went down front and you know, they sang this song and I cried and I went down front. All the things Pastor Tim rails about in his sermons, right? You know, I, 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 I said a prayer at VBS or I said a prayer here, I said a prayer there, I did this, that, and the other. And, and you know, we all may have different kind of stories. I, I feel like mine's probably different from, from Joe's and, and Bethany's and Keith's and Zach's and Everybody else's. I think we all have a different specific story. But if we're honest, this is, a, this is our story. This is our testimony right here. Verses 1 through 10 is every person's testimony. I was dead, but God, by grace through faith, He saved me to good works. Okay? Um, he made me alive, uh, as we like to sing. <clears throat> so, again, every saved person's testimony. But these, these verses, and, and all, all throughout just, just these 10 verses, there's just 
There's so much. Um, you know, we're, we're, we've, we've preached a couple of sermons. Tim has. They're in the Five Solas uh, <clears throat> series. Um, you know, we're not going to scratch the surface of, of digging really deep into this. We are going to talk, talk about it, but there's just a lot here. Um, we're going to go over it quickly. Um, Paul's just been speaking to believers, his brothers and sisters in Christ, and right off the heels of him telling them they were chosen, they were heirs, they were predestined and, and, and chosen before the foundation of the world. He reminds them of their former state. He takes them back to before, before this salvation. Verse 1, he says, you were dead. That, that's another one of those really simple things. Okay, So to the people that believe that we do something for our salvation, we were dead. There was nothing we could do. Anybody been to a funeral in here? I think almost all of us have been to a funeral in here. Right? I've never seen that guy, get, that guy or girl get up out of the casket and do anything. Right? I've never, I mean, unless you're watching some crazy horror movies, never heard of anybody coming up out of the grave other than Jesus, um, you know, on their own. You know what I mean? So, he says, you were dead, okay? That, that, that's, that seals it, you know what I mean? I, I, don't, I don't see why there's, there, there, there is confusion over it, but I don't, I don't see how there could be. Um, very, very simply put, you were dead, and, you know, a dead person can do absolutely nothing. Um, so then, so then, you know, uh, Paul starts out telling them that they were dead and then he goes into the implications of that. And it's interesting, it's interesting that more than one time he talks about the who, who was dead. He says, um, he says among, he says, you're, you're all followers of the prince of the power of the air, uh, the spirit that's at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, the nature of the children of the wrath, like the rest of mankind. Okay, so who's included in this you were dead? Everybody. Everybody. Some people aren't were dead. Some people still are dead, right? But every believer, every believer was at one point dead in their trespasses and sins. Spiritually dead. Alright? So, so just make sure we understand, before the point of conversion, spiritually you're dead. Okay? And there's a reason why Paul uses death, okay? It's very extreme, it's very, it's very uh, intentional why he uses death. Because death is just death, okay? You, I mean, it's like I said earlier, we've never seen a dead person get up. So he, he's using it here for you to understand you're fully dependent on something if you're going to be made alive, okay? And that something is Christ, as we know. Um, so in verse 4, in verse 4, we see, uh, you know, what, what Tim and, and, and myself as well, uh, would, would, and I, I'm sure most of us would agree, are the two most powerful words in Scripture. But God. Okay? So you were dead, impossible for you to be made alive. Just like Jesus in that tomb, impossible for Him to come out. But God. Okay? So God, we see this but God. It doesn't say but me. It doesn't say but baptism, or Lord's Supper, or my, me accepting Jesus, or my prayer, or giving my heart to God. It doesn't say any of that. It says, but God being rich in mercy because He loved us even while we were dead. This takes me kind of to Romans 5, um, I believe it is, where he says, yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still dead, but God, in His being, being rich in mercy, while we were still uh, dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. Okay? So, make sure we understand that. This, guys, if we don't hear anything else tonight, that needs to be it. You were dead, but God, while you were dead in your trespasses, made you alive. If you're, if you're a, a saved person in here tonight, if you're a Christian in here tonight, 
That's your status, okay? Um, and it was not because of something that you did. Um, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. If you're not saved in here tonight, you're still dead in those trespasses and sins. And, you know, I'm not trying to scare anybody. The end game is death and hell and torment, okay? That's the end. That's the end game for those who remain dead in their trespasses and sins. All right? And like I said, I'm not trying to scare anybody because I don't have the power to scare you into hell or out of hell or into heaven or anything like that. I don't have that power. Um, and and I, I think it's interesting um, <clears throat> that, uh, well, first and foremost, like my, my desire is to tell you the truth, you know, and that is the truth. Many youth groups um, that, may, that meet tonight, you may not hear stuff like that. If you're, if you're from a different youth group or you've been somewhere else that doesn't teach these kinds of things, you may not hear things like that, but if you're going to be around here very long, you're going to hear things like that. But they're the truth, okay? So just make sure you understand that's, that's our goal here. Um, but, you know, if you're, in sa if you're saved in here, you went from death to life. If not, you're dead. The end game is torment. If, if you're made alive in here, the end game is eternal life with Jesus, as we talked about earlier. That's that inheritance um, that, we, that we gain. Um, Alright, so remember who did the work. Though. Remember who does the work. It says, but God, right? But God is the point there. Now, uh, the most familiar voice, uh, the most familiar verses that we hear around here, verses eight through ten, talks about this salvation and how and how it's accomplished. Again, it's not anything that we do. Um, if we're unsaved, and let's just say if somebody was unsaved and they started kind of feeling something during during this, you know, as, as Joe prayed for, um, God started doing a work in you. It's not because I'm saying. It's not because of what I'm saying. Okay. Yes, the word has to be preached. Yes. You know, I'm the one up here doing it, but it's not because of me, it's because of God. It's, it's not our own doing, um, it's because of God. It's not because of anything that you've done. Um, it's, it's because of, of the work of God. Paul goes on to say that it's by grace that we are saved. What's grace? What's grace? Giving someone something they don't deserve. So we, we receive this salvation through great, by grace. Um, and it's not your own doing. He says that specifically. It is not your own doing. And I'm glad he said that. Because again, you've got people out there who believe different things. It's a gift of God. And he says it's, an, it's not a result of works. So, um, you know, this is one of those things. The Bible says it, not me. This is, this is, this is a, not a works-based salvation. not something you can do to obtain it. Um, your salvation isn't a, isn't a result of works. Works are something that we do, but are works important? Sure, works are important and they are a part of this whole thing. Verse 10, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, right? Okay, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So works are not what cause our salvation, okay? Baptism doesn't cause our salvation. The sinner's prayer doesn't cause our salvation. Um, you know, doing any of these things doesn't cause our salvation. It's a result of our salvation, um, you didn't pray a prayer to get saved. You didn't accept Christ to get saved. You didn't give your heart to God to get saved. You didn't do anything in and of yourself to get saved. The only thing, as I believe it was Jonathan Edwards said, is the only thing that you uh, give to yourself, the only thing that you, <laughs> I didn't write it down, the only thing that you basically uh, give to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. I think that was Jonathan Edwards, and I may be wrong about that. Joe can correct me. I'll be okay with it. The only thing you contribute. Contribute. That's the word I was looking for. Yes, thank you. Thank you. 
Alright, so, so we see that. But, at the same time, guys, if you are saved, you'll want to be baptized. You'll want to take the Lord's Supper. You'll want to go to church. You'll want to read your Bible. You'll want to do all these things. You'll want to share the Gospel with those around you. You'll want to love in the way that God calls us to love. So, these are things that are results, but not causes. So, like I said, you're going to hear different things out there, okay? You're going to hear different things um, in, 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 in uh, churches that, that preach false doctrine and, and things like that. You're going to hear a lot of different things in schools and, and, and wherever, wherever you may go. Um, but these things are in Scripture. So, we have to deal with them. It's like the whole predestination thing. It's like election. These things are in Scripture, so we have to deal with them. Okay, um, so, so just make sure we, we keep that in mind when we're talking with others. Um, verses 11 through 22, and this is where we're going to kind of pick up speed a little bit. Um, we see a new multi-ethnic family. So before hearing about Jesus, um, the non-Jews were kind of cut off from the Jews. Okay, they were kind of cut off, and it was believed that the Jews were really the only ones who were going to heaven. There was sort of a, a barrier between Jews and non-Jews that, it, that excluded uh, these folks from the family of, of Jesus. In Christ, this covenant was fulfilled and the barriers were, 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 uh, were, were knocked down. Um, and, and all types of people, Gentiles now, um, were known to be accepted into the family of Jesus. And they were able to all live at peace together. This is the picture of the church. Okay, This is, this is a picture of, of the church. All of God's chosen people together and unified in uh, the family of Christ. Chapter 3, Paul, Paul calls himself a prisoner for the sake of the Gentiles. Who, who has, uh, get, he's given them administration of God's grace to the Gentiles. He's, he's an, a, uh, there's an unveiled mystery that's been given to him by revelation, which he had written about previously, possibly in another letter or earlier in Ephesians. He calls it the mystery of Christ. Uh, and if the Ephesians uh, would know it, that they would understand Paul's knowledge of it, Previous ages didn't know this mystery, but the Spirit revealed it, uh, revealed it now to the apostles and the prophets. The mystery was that the Gentiles were included in God's promises through Christ. In other words, Jesus didn't just die for Jews, okay? He didn't just die for that, that exclusive group of people. He died for Gentiles. The only exclusive group of people that Jesus died for are the people that He chose, or that God chose for. Um, so in other words, uh, He died for Gentiles too. Paul Paul, though he, he realizes he's unworthy, just like any of us that get up here and teach the Word are unworthy, he was given the responsibility of preaching this to the Gentiles. Um, this would make all men see the nature and the, of the fellowship, uh, which was the point the whole time. This was the eternal purpose in Christ now revealed. Because of this, we have boldness in our, in our access through faith into His presence. This is why Paul bows to the Father from whom all fatherhood derives its name. Paul asks that God would grant that we believers, us and the ones he's talking to, um, be strengthened by the Spirit in the inner man in order that Christ might dwell in us with, by faith, rooting us deeply in his love, <clears throat> and that we might be able to comprehend the incomprehensible and to know the unknowable and to be filled with all fullness of God. So this is Paul's prayer. Paul's prayer are these things for, 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 the, for believers and for himself. Um, and then Paul, Paul actually prays uh, even further uh, to the one who can do way more, far abundantly than what he's, what he's even praying for. And so this sort, sort of ends that halfway point of the book. And I know we're like way over time for halfway of the book. Like I said, we're going to fly kind of through the rest of it. So the rest of it's really application. And so there's, some, there's some good application in there. 
but I wanted to make sure we, we, we covered as much of this theology and the deeper kind of stuff uh, th- that we could. Um, so now we've, we've looked at, you know, we've looked at the, at the theology, we've looked at what God has done. Now Paul goes into, how do you live in light of that? How, do, how, do, how is he telling us and how is he telling these people to live because of what they've just heard, okay? Um, so Paul starts with a therefore, um, and he basically is saying, I've said all this that God has done, and what I'm about to say is in light of that. So because what God has done, the, because God has done these things, and then he goes on to, to, to remind them that he's a prisoner, he asks them to walk worthy of the calling that they've been given, and, and that calling is what he's just described to them. Um, and, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he says basically what that looks like, and it's kind of, kind of wrapped up in two words. Humility and unity. Um, such humility is the foundation of the, of the strenuous labor of church unity. That unity is grounded in what God has done. And he goes on to talk about one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, grounded in, uh, uh, I'm sorry, baptism and one God over all, through all, and in, and in us all. Okay, so this is, this is kind of a unit, kind of a rallying uh, kind of cry for him uh, to, to unify as a church. Um, but we also know we're all different. You know, we're all given different gifts. We're all given different talents. Uh, you wouldn't want me playing that guitar and singing into that microphone when I finish up here. I can promise you. So we're all given different things to do, but we're called to live in unity. We're called to, to live together, get along, um, and, and, live, and live in unity. Um, and, and all of these gifts and all of these things are to equip the saints for ministry work. Okay, I've actually heard Joe talk about this before. You know, it's it's hard not having a little bit of pride, right? When you when you sing, when you when you teach well, when you whatever it is that you do. You know, I cover high school football, and I have a good time doing it. I love it. I love getting to know the players and and, and coaches. And then I started last year having to do basketball, baseball, and you know now I'm on like a don't go watch it. I'm on like a Facebook TV show every Monday night or Tuesday night, depending on when Hewitt plays basketball. And they put me up there and they make me talk about football. And uh, There's a little bit of pride that comes along with that. It's kind of cool. You know, I'm, a, I'm the, the next, uh, I don't know, Lee Corso, uh, Kirk Herbstreet, you know, whatever. One of those guys. Uh, but, but no, that's not, but that's not the purpose of these gifts in the church, okay? The purpose is ministry work, not to put on a show for spectators. Um, these gifts uh, are going to be exercised until we arrive at the unity of the faith to the perfect man, Jesus. At that time, we will no longer be gullible or prey of false teachers. So, you know, a lot of the reason we teach is obedience, okay? Some of the reason, a lot more of the reason that we teach is, as I've been saying here, you're going to hear other things, okay? You're going to hear things elsewhere. The reason it's so important for us to repeat things and teach things and pick this thing up and read it is so that we know it when we, can, when we encounter those things. So that's, that's kind of what he was getting at there with the whole false teacher thing. We'd, we'd no longer be subject to, to possibly uh, falling prey to a, to a false teacher because we'll be in our perfected bodies and, and you know, there will be no more false teachers. Um, but we speak the truth in love, uh, showing our attachment to Christ. Um, and it talks some about the body being uh, attached to, to Him. Uh, and, and, we, we tend to, we, and, and we tend to kind of not talk a lot about God's love, you know, because we're trying to make sure that we don't sound so much like the world. And we'll get into that a little bit later as well. But, but love is something that we should enjoy. God is love, indeed. 
He's not only love, though. And that's where, that's where kind of the world stops. Well, isn't God love, so we should expect, so we should accept every idea and every stupidity that anybody comes in with? No. That's not the kind of love that God is. And God's not only love. He's also wrath. He's also just. Okay? So, uh, so again, um, and, and because of this, uh, we should not walk according to the, to the mindset of the world. Um, and we see, we see several uh, sort of instructions here. Um, inside the church, this is all in the context of church unity, okay? So we see not, you know, he gives, gives, some, gives some instruction. Don't lie, speak the truth, don't uh, be angry, but don't sin and don't fester in the anger. Don't give the devil a foothold. Let the thief work with his hands on something and share what he's earned. Don't speak in a foul way. Don't read the spirit. Put away malice. Um, <clears throat> uh, malice and all of its companions. Be kind, tender-hearted, eager to forgive as you have been forgiven. In the church, we are called to be unified. If there's any of this among us, we have to get rid of it. This is true for the Little C Church. Y'all ever heard of Little C Church, Big C Church? Anybody ever heard those terms? Little C Church is kind of North Clay Baptist Church and individual churches. Big C Church is everybody, all of Christ's people, all of God's people in the church. Okay, so... You know, I, I kind of was thinking thinking through this when I was reading uh, through the commentary I used, and um, you know, it, it made me think. You know, if there's dissension in the little C church, right? How are we going to live in unity with the big C church? All right. If we have quarrels and fights, and you know, uh, I know y'all are young. There's lots of gossip, and there's lots of all this, and you know, most of you don't go to public school, and that that happens mostly in public schools, but. But there's, there's, there's a lot of this chitter-chatter and don't, don't be friends with her because she's a jerk and don't be friends with him because he's a jerk and he's a meanie and this, that, and the other. We can't have that in church, okay? We can't have that. If we can't fix those things in Little C Church, how are we going to live in unity with the Big C Church? So that's just some encouragement. And that's as much encouragement to adults as it is to kids because we get caught up in that stuff too, all right? We get caught up in those things and, and, and it's hard not to. Uh, but, we, but we have to do these things. And he ends the chapter, he says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Who are you, who am I, not to forgive someone when I know what God has forgiven in me? Right? Everybody in here should probably have that same statement on the end of your tongue. Who am I to not forgive? Um, chapter 5, Paul starts out by telling them to imitate God as children, to walk in love the same way Christ loved us and gave Himself Excuse me. For us, sacrificially, sexual uncleanly, uncleanness and greed have no place here. The same is true of filthy talk and crude jokes. Um, you know, for for you youngsters, this may hit home a little bit too. Um, it's it's funny that he legitimately talked about filthy jokes, filthy talk, and crude jokes, because that's something that's real popular with young boys, especially, right? Okay, so you think it's not a big deal, but Paul named those things specifically. Okay, now I'm not sitting here saying, well, if you told a dirty joke today, you're going to hell. But these things have no place. These things have no place in the church. Okay, um, and, and he says, he even says, don't be deceived. So how many of you here? Well, everybody does it, right? Everybody does it. Well, if everybody does it, then by all means, it's right, right? Right? No, no. not right. Not right. If everybody does it, it is absolutely not right. So he says, don't be deceived. And that's deception. The world's going to tell you, come on, man, everybody everybody tells a dirty joke every once in a while. Go ahead and tell that dirty joke. I want to hear it. It's really funny. Um, but, but there is a problem with it. 
Um, you know, so, so, so there's a warning there, don't, not to be deceived. Um, Alright, and he talks a little bit about who, you know, basically um, uh, that we used to be in darkness, but we're now in light, so act like it, basically is kind of the message there. Um, walk intelligently, use your time well, understand God's will, be sober-minded, not drunk with wine, uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit instead, showing that you, showing that you are so by speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and, and, and spiritual songs. In other words, talk to each other about Christ. You know, when y'all have when y'all talk amongst yourselves, it's okay for you young folks to talk about Jesus when you talk to one another. It's actually a really good thing, and it can lead to some really good conversations. So, so do those things. Um, you know, then it goes on toward the end. It starts talking about husbands and wives. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Be respect. See that you respect your husbands. Submit to your husbands. Husbands, lay down your lives and 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 uh, sacrifice. Uh, the way that Christ did, love your wives the way that Christ loves the church, laying your life down, giving up everything. The end of it, he kind of makes a point uh, to, to reiterate that. Um, you know, he, he says uh, to make, it a, uh, make sure that uh, wives respect your husbands and husbands love your wives. You know, kind of reiterate what he just said. Then chapter 6 starts off, and it's interesting. The end of 5 and the beginning of 6 should kind of flow together. Because you go from husbands and wives to children and parents, right? Uh, but they but they they're broken up. So it tells you know kids to obey your parents. So y'all are all kids in here. Obey your parents. Um, it's a good thing. Uh, it's the first commandment with a promise attached to it. Um, uh, and then fathers, it talks about not provoking your children to anger, but raising them um, raising them in Christ in a Christian household and instru- a Christian instruction um, gives. Some, uh, some instruction to bond servants and slaves. Um, you know, that you're not working for, for that person, you're working for, for the Lord. Um, same for masters. Remember, you have a master. Uh, and, then, and then Paul gives an encouragement to his brothers to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Then they're told to put on the armor of God, and it give, gives these examples of, um, of military type um, armor. And each, each item comes with, you know, uh, you know, the sword of the Spirit. So the Spirit isn't, you know, a physical armor that you put on, but that's what He tells you to put on, you know, and these things. And He, 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 tells, he tells them to put on these things because, why? The enemy is not, necessar- is not flesh and blood. We don't fight against flesh and blood, He says in there. We fight, against, uh, we fight against spiritual evil. Okay, so those are the things that we fight against. So when, when he, He's kind of, again, it's almost like He used death to make an impact. He's using these these items, these military-grade items, to sort of uh, tell you, give you some direction on, on, on how to use the, the other things, the Word, the Spirit, and those things that He's telling you to put on. Um, so, you know, he, he even prays at the end um, that, that He would be strengthened in these things, that He would always have this armor, that He would have um, the courage to speak, um, and, then he, and then He prays uh, grace to all who love Jesus, or He says grace to all who love Jesus at the end. So there you have it. There's your high-level overview of Ephesians. Um, again, as much as I could cram into the time I had, I know we're pushing right up against the time. But the one thing I want to make sure we understand out of this book, okay? And one thing, and it's, it's, it's pretty simple, okay? It's pretty simple. You've got a lot of examples, especially in those first two chapters, of where our salvation comes from, who it's all about, and it's not about you. And it's not about your works. And it's not about anything that you can do. But if we're looking on this Emmaus Road study for Jesus, 
It's what He's done. Everything that He said there in the, in, in the verses that we went through, there was an in Christ, because of Christ, in Christ, in Christ. It was repeated over and over. And that's why I made it a point to say, look how many times He talks about Christ in those verses. Okay? It's through Christ that these things happen, because of, because of God. So again, you're going to hear things. You're going to hear that salvation is baptism. Salvation is this checklist of things and you have to do them before you can be saved. Um, but to suggest that we can do anything to gain this standing ourselves is a slap in the face to what Christ has done. It's an absolute slap in the face. We see the, we read the, how horrible the crucifixion was. It's a slap in the face to that for us to say, well, I did this to gain my salvation. Um, so again, Read the book of Ephesians. Um, kind of, you know, draw other things out of it. Let, let, this, let this lesson kind of maybe fuel that fire for you to go read it and learn more about it and dig more into it. I'm going to pray and then uh, we'll be sing a song and be out of here. Alright, let's pray. Dear Father, we just thank You so much for Your Word. Uh, thank You for this opportunity to, to, to teach Your Word. I pray that any confusion, any... Um, misspeaking that I may have done, Father God, that You would clear it, that Your Word would go forth to these young people and even to the adults in the room. Father God, that they would be changed, that they would be transformed by Your Word. And Lord, as Job prayed earlier, if there's anyone in here um, who doesn't know You, Father, if it be Your will, uh, we pray that tonight would be that night for them, that You would change their heart, that You would remove their heart of flesh, Give them a heart of, remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh, Father. And, and bring them unto Yourself. Father God, we just thank You again for this opportunity. I thank You for these students. Pray that, Lord, You would forgive us where we fail You. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.